0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people, learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hebrews chapter 4. This is really a continuation of Hebrews chapter 3 that we were in last week. It's really kind of one thought, um, but it was a lot, so we did break it up for the sake of our teachings and our time together on Sundays. But while you're turning there, uh, because I know the number one thing before we read this that is on most of your minds right now, especially those of us in here under five feet tall, most of you are just like staring at those tables and waiting for them to be filled, right? And you're waiting for the food after this, right? Am I wrong? I'm right. So... You know what usually happens, right? Like after we're done with this whole part and we sing a couple more songs and then we say we're going to eat and they bring the food out, what happens? All the kids rush over there to be first in line, right? Right? I totally get it. Let me ask you a question. What if I gave you the option of like, hey, you could do that. You could rush to get in line first and get all the stuff that you want or you could stay seated and I'll go get your plate for you and bring it to you. Which one would you choose? It's an option. Who's going to go on their own? Okay. Who's going to say, I'll wait for Chris to bring me some food? Wow. Three, four. Okay. So there's a, an overwhelming kind of sh- leaning on, on that decision there to like, no, we're gonna get our own food. Why? Why? Just shout it out. Why would you want to prefer to go get your own food rather than waiting for me to bring it? You can go and just shout out an answer. Because it would be so much faster. So much faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard all of that and I understood every single word. It was crystal clear. You wouldn't know what food. I wouldn't know what. Food. Yeah, exactly. So here are the things I heard. I wouldn't know the kind of food you guys like, so who knows what I'm going to get you, right? Uh, I may not get you enough food, right? You want to pile on that plate. I know you. Uh, Also, I heard it's not going to be fast enough if you wait for me. You want to get there and get it quick, right? You don't want to wait, right? And here's the reason I bring that up. By the way, if you really do want me to get your food, I'll do it for you, but you're allowed to get in line too. Uh, But the reason I brought that choice up is that's kind of like what we're going to see today when we read in Hebrews 4 is we're actually being reminded way back in the story of when God's people were given a choice. They were given a choice to either go and take things for themselves or to wait on and trust that God would actually provide for them. And they had the same struggle with that that you just said. I don't want to wait. Who knows when God's timing's going to be? Like, I, I can do this now, right? Or what if what God provides isn't as good As the thing that I want for myself? What if it's not enough of what I think that I need, right? They had all those same concerns. And so instead of waiting on and trusting God to be the one to provide and resting in the fact that He would actually care for them, instead they were working. And struggling and toiling, like rushing to get to the line first, right? They they were working hard to try to get for themselves what they felt like they needed or wanted instead of trusting on God to give that for them. And so the person who is giving this message in Hebrews, who wrote all this down, is reminding the people who were following Jesus at this time of how God's people way even before then, the Israelites, did just that. And because of that, they missed out on the rest that God offers. And so he's saying, remember that? Let's not be like that. Let's learn from that. And let's learn to rest in what God offers today. So I'm going to read for us in Hebrews 4, okay? And we're just going to read the first 13 verses today. So it starts with therefore. And remember, we said when we see that, we have to ask, what is it therefore? Remember, it's continuing from chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he had just been talking about how God's people, the Israelites, did not believe that God would come through, and so they missed out on his rest. Therefore, since the promise to enter God's rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news, just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. And this is quoting from Psalm 95. So I swore in my anger, this is God's words, they will not enter my rest. And then the author of Hebrews continues, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and this is from Genesis. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, going back to Psalm 95, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken later about another day. Therefore, Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. Father, we ask that though that was kind of a lot and maybe confusing, that you would allow us to be able to understand your words spoken to us today. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits to be able to receive what you have for us today. God, that we would be Renewed and transformed, that we too would be able to enter into the goodness of your rest fully one day, but also even in part here and now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Who's like, I have no idea what you were just reading right now? Adults are not being honest, right? But kids (laughs) are like, I'm with you. (laughs) Like, that was a lot. I just read a lot of stuff. Some of it sounded very confusing, didn't it? And so in order to understand it, we have to put ourselves in the mindset of the original audience this person was talking to. And the original audience, most of them were Jewish followers of Jesus. And so they had been raised in a whole tradition and religion their entire lives, where they knew the story of where they came from, and they knew the story of their people and their ancestors, and they knew the story of their God who had rescued them. And so let's let's try to get a little bit of a glimpse of what they knew when they heard this message in Hebrews just now, okay? And so what they knew is that there's a God who created all things. There's a man named Moses who who wrote down this story after uh, God's people have been rescued from slavery in Egypt and he wanted to explain to them, "Hey, this is who you are. You've been slaves For 400 years, but actually you have a deeper identity than that. And you've been told how to live and how to work without any rest for 400 years, but God has a new way for you to live now. And so in teaching them that, Moses wrote down the first five books in our Bible. And at the very beginning of it, he tells the story of a God who created all things. And in six days, he created all things. He ordered all things in the first day, and he made space for life to flourish. And then in the next three days, he filled those spaces with that life. All the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, the creatures on the land, and even humans on that sixth day. And the humans were unique and special from the rest of creation. Because though they were one of God's creatures, they were also made in the image of God, meant to be these living statues, reflections of, representations of the creator to the rest of creation. Now, that happened on the sixth day. And then what happened on the seventh day? Do you guys know? God rested, right? God settled in to his creation, and he rested. And he said, this is so, so good. This is very good. And he was present in it. And he himself stopped working. So humanity's first full day of life Was resting because God had already done all of the work for them. They had a beautiful paradise to live in. Now, they also were given work to do. And so, after that seventh day of rest, uh, then they were called into this work of tending to the garden, cultivating it, helping to spread it out more and more so it would fill the whole earth. That they would actually care for the things that God created for them, right? Including the animals and the plants. And so there was a work for the humans, but that work came out of a deep rest in what God had already done. And it came out of God providing all things for them already. And it came out of God giving them every single thing they needed in order to do the work that he asked them to do. That's important for us to know. Then if we fast forward in the story, what's also important for us to know is after those humans chose not to rest in what God had done for them, and said, you know what, instead, I think I can reach out and take for myself something better. Maybe what God brings to me isn't enough on my plate. So I can reach out and I can grab something for myself. What that did is that that started a cycle of work being really, really hard for them now. In order to get the things that God had already given them and promised to them, they now had to work through Thorns and thistles, as the Bible says, which means like they're going to cut themselves as they're working the land. They're going to sweat. They're going to bleed. It's going to be difficult. And when you fast forward through that story, what we see is all throughout it, God continued to go after his people to bring them back into his rest. Who likes to rest here? I love to rest. What's your favorite part of rest? Rest. (laughs) Sleep. Yeah? Video games. <laughs> Video games? I don't know how restful those are. <laughs> yeah. There's no like expectation for you to have to do anything though, right? Yeah, you could eat. You could watch a movie. You could sleep. You can just chill. There's no expectation for you to have to do anything. And what God had been trying to do that whole time is bring his people back into a place where he says, I've already done it all. All you need to do is rest in the work I've done and partner with me in it. But partnering with God in his work that he will accomplish is a much easier job than working against God, thinking that we could do better on our own, right? And so God's people, they, they kept thinking, no, we could do better on our own. And they kept thinking, well, the other nations, the other countries around us, the other people, they have these other gods and, and look at all the stuff that they have. Maybe... We could do it better that way. And so they kept chasing after these other ways of living. So they ended up finding themselves in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. And so generation after generation, they were told how to work and how not to rest because the Pharaoh would get really harsh with them, the the king over Egypt, and he kept giving them more and more work to do. When they would complain, he would add even more work for them. And so it was endless striving and working for a king who did not love them, who did not care for them. They they didn't get days off and rest days, right? So then God comes and he rescues them. He redeems them. He finds a way to get them out of slavery and to bring them into a new land. And God promised them, I'm going to take you into a land where it's flowing with milk and honey is the way that it says in the Bible. And what that means is it's going to have everything you need and it's going to be really good. There will be everything you need there to live and it's going to be tasty. It sounds kind of like what God intended at the very beginning of the story, right? God gave them everything they needed there. And so he's trying to bring them back into his rest again. But in the wilderness, many of them did not believe, they did not trust And so they're wondering, where's food going to come from? Are we going to have shelter? Are are our enemies going to come and attack us? And will God protect us from that? Maybe we should have just stayed in Egypt as slaves. And it's funny that when God's trying to teach them a new way to live, one of the first things that he tells them is, I want you to have a day of rest. Right? Moses goes up onto this mountain, he, he actually meets with God, and God gives him these laws, these ways to live. We hear laws, and it sounds like, man, I don't like laws. Like, I just want to be myself, right? I want to do what I want to do. But God was showing them, no, no, here's a better way to live your life now that you're not under the oppression of a bad king. God is a good king. Here's how you live. And one of those main 10 laws he gave is I want you to rest. That's not a bad law, is it? That's, that, in fact, sounds very inviting for me. And yet, it is one of the hardest of those laws for those people to follow, and even still today, for us, isn't it? Because we constantly, for some reason, are working against our Creator, trying to grab for ourselves what we think we need, instead of resting in, trusting that he has already done it for us. And so, if you fast forward a little bit, verse 11 in Hebrews 4, it says, let us make every effort to enter into God's rest. Now that sounds like an oxymoron. Kids, do you know what an oxymoron is? It's when you take two words or ideas that seem to be opposite, but you put them together, like jumbo shrimp. Some of you don't even know why you're laughing. Uh, any, any other examples of oxymorons? Do you guys have any? No? Quiet children. <laughs> wow, well, I didn't say it. <laughs> Crazy children. Crazy, <laughs> that's, that's a fitting. Quiet children's more oxymoron, yeah. So it's taking two ideas that don't seem to make sense and you put them together, like hurry up and slow down. That sounds weird, right? You got one, John? What was it? Is that like dark light? That thing? Dark light? I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah, like a, like a black light. Yeah. That does sound like a oxymoron. Good one. Yeah. Yeah, two, two words that don't seem to go together. They seem to be opposite. You put them together and make one thing. And so this phrase, make every effort to enter rest. Some of your translations might say strive, which is like working really hard, to enter his rest. That sounds like two opposing ideas, right? Uh, Like I said, the the example of hurry up and slow down. It sounds like, what is he talking about? That doesn't seem to fit together. But remember what he said at the end of chapter 3 of why those people, those Israelites, did not enter into God's promised land, into his rest. Was it because they weren't super obedient? Was it because they didn't follow all the rules exactly? Or did he say it's because of their unbelief? Do you guys know? It's an open book test. What do you think, Eileen? Unbelief, yeah, good job. It's because of their unbelief. And so what, what this author is saying is, listen, there's a lot of things around you that are telling you, you can go and make things your own way. You can go and take what you want or you think you need. You can grab it for yourselves, just like the first humans in the garden, grabbing from that tree that didn't belong to them. Just like the Israelites, not trusting God would provide food when he's literally pouring manna from the sky. And they think, no, no, we need to get for ourselves. There's a lot of stuff, even still today, around us that's screaming that message, right? That we need to hustle hard and stay on our grind. And that we need to go out and get what we want. And what this author is saying is, no, no, no. You actually need to work to fight against that mentality. Work to resist that so that you wouldn't fall into an unbelief. And you would trust instead that God is the one who provides everything for you. There's this book by a guy named Walter Brueggemann. Say that three times fast. And he, it's called Sabbath as Resistance. And so Sabbath is this day of rest that God commanded his people to do. On the seventh day, he rested. And so he reminded his people in the wilderness, hey, you take one day to rest as well. Six days, you can work. One day, you remind yourselves that I've done all the work for you. And so he wrote this book, this guy Walter Brueggemann, called Sabbath as Resistance because what he's saying is there's so much around us in our culture that we actually have to fight against and resist in order for us to enter into God's rest. And so one of the quotes he writes in that is this. He said, Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes. It is the pause that transforms. What does that mean? Stopping And resting can be a refreshing thing. Like you're you're out of energy, you're spent, you're tired, and you just need some sleep, right? You just need a day off. And it can be very refreshing. But he's saying it's not just that. It's also an invitation to completely transform the way you see life. So he goes on to say, whereas the Israelites were always tempted to go out and grab for themselves, I'm paraphrasing because he used this word called acquisitiveness, to go out and grab for themselves what they need. Sabbath is an invitation to receptivity, which means instead to allow it to come to you, to receive what you need. Rather than going out and grabbing for yourselves, receive it. You see how that transforms the way you think and the way you live? He says it's an acknowledgement that what is needed is already given and need not be seized. If the first two humans in the garden had believed that, if they had resisted this serpent that slithered in and started telling them a lie, God's holding out on you. You can go and get more. Look how tasty that is. Isn't it better than what God has given you to eat? If they had fought to resist that lie and not fallen into that unbelief, they would have continued in God's rest. If the Israelites in the wilderness had fought fought against the temptation of worshiping the gods of other nations, thinking that they could provide for them more than the God who rescued them out of slavery, if they fought against that temptation and didn't fall into unbelief, they too would have entered into God's rest. But here's the thing. That was just a glimpse of the full rest that is going to come. And so that's what the author in Hebrews says here too. He, he mentions, and again, this is one of the things we need to know That they, as Jewish people, understood in that time. Because he just randomly introduces his character in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And what is he talking about there? Joshua was this guy who was able to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Moses had led them out of Egypt, Moses had been the one kind of like helping to lead them as a people for 40 years in the wilderness. But he and his whole generation passed away because of their unbelief. They were not allowed to enter the rest. God allowed the next generation, their kids, to go into the promised land, and Joshua led them across there. You know Joshua's name is the same name as Jesus. They actually are the same name. Uh, It's actually more closely said as Yeshua, Yeshua. Jesus, though, is is more of a Greek version of it that has then been changed over the years in translations. Uh, But it's, it's Yeshua. And what that means is Yahweh, who is their God, saves. Yahweh rescues. God chose a man named Yahweh saves to help bring them into the promised land. But what he says here is that was not the end of the story. That was not the full rest. If it was then why would much later in Psalm 95, which he references here, King David, hundreds of years after that happened, write about God bringing a day of rest someday. God allowing us to enter fully into his rest once and for all. And so that promised land flowing with milk and honey was just a preview. It was just a glimpse into what was to come one day. And those who didn't believe that God would do it didn't get to experience it. But those who trusted in him, even if they made some mistakes at times, if they trusted in Yahweh, they made it in. And that is pointing us forward to a better Yeshua, Jesus himself, who has come to say, hey, I am freeing you, not just from slavery to Egyptians, but from slavery to sin and death. And not only that, but you now, can enter into the fullness of God's promised rest one day. That is coming if you do not harden your hearts and fall into unbelief. And so we have to strive to resist the lies and the temptations and the doubts that are around us. And so resting is a communal project. What I mean by that is it takes all of us to remind one another how we can trust in God's good rest. Because there are so many messages and so many things around us every single day telling us the opposite, telling us to strive for our own good instead of striving against that and trusting that God would do good for us. So Jesus comes, the true Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And he comes as a man and he enters into all the mess of this world, as a human. And he even works a job, by the way, as a a carpenter, right? But but he also, he travels around, and and he goes and he brings messages of good news, and and he heals people, and all this is like taking from him. He's working. He's preaching. He's caring for. And the work that Jesus does, and the work ultimately that he accomplishes as he goes to the cross— And he is hung there and murdered there. And the work that he does as he enters into the grave and then overcomes it, like, I don't know about you guys, sometimes you have hard days at work and you complain about it, but like, imagine the work it took to beat death. To climb out of a grave, right? To to walk out of a tomb. And that work that Jesus has done, that God has done on our behalf, is now how we get to start in his rest. Remember we said at the beginning, God's work brings our rest, and then we could start working out of his rest. And so because Jesus has done all the work for you, if we can trust in and rest in the fact that he has done everything needed for us to be right with God and for us to have life forever, if we rest in that, instead of trying to earn everything on our own, instead of trying to prove to God that we're a good Christian, instead of trying to prove that to one another or to ourselves, if we can rest in, no, God has already done this for us through Jesus, then and only then can we start partnering with him in the work that he has for us. There's one more quote from that book I want to read, and then we'll finish this. Uh, He says that the way of mammon, which in that day, mammon was a word for wealth, for having what you need, right? But it also was a name for a God that many of them worshipped who provided wealth and, and capital for them. So he says that way, that way of thinking is the way of commodity that is the way of endless desire, endless productivity, and endless restlessness. You're always striving. You're never trusting that you have what you need without any Sabbath. He says, Jesus taught his disciples that they could not have it both ways. Come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest, Jesus says. You can't have rest and think that you can go out and get what you need on your own. God is the one who provides for us. Does that mean you don't work? No. As we rest in him though and trust that he's already accomplished everything on our behalf, then and only then, can we partner in the work that he has called us to? And partnering with him in his work that he will accomplish is a much easier job than fighting against him to do it ourselves, amen? So the invitation is to rest in Jesus by trusting he has done the work on your behalf. Let me pray that we would trust that.